Hello, everybody, and welcome. Once again, as we're going to continue on now in the study we're doing in the New Testament, in particular, we're doing our study through the book of Mark. And uh, we're going a chapter at a time, week by week, uh, and talking about, uh, well, right now we're talking about the Gospels and presenting to you the accounts written by, uh, from four different perspectives, letters that are targeted to four different audiences. And Mark, in particular, is, uh, is targeted to the Romans. And the Romans liked their information fast and furious. They didn't need a whole lot of backstory. They, they liked and were impressed by power. And so the, the, the Gospel of Mark is laid out to present Jesus quickly and to present what he was doing. Um, one of the differences we've seen right off the bat between Mark and Matthew, which we just finished, is that Matthew gives us a lot of uh, details about what Jesus taught. Mark sort of in, uh, says Jesus taught, but doesn't really tell us about too much. But he always says we taught with authority. When Jesus taught, it changed people's lives. And, and so we, we don't get, as again, much background because of the audience that he's trying to reach. And so there's, there's some differences. And we, we pretty much jumped into chapter 1 with Jesus' ministry. There wasn't a whole lot of preamble. It was just, boom, it was right out there. Well, today, um, we, we're... Uh, have moved up into Mark chapter 3. And uh, chapter 2 was filled with uh, miracles and all sorts of things. Uh, right off the bat, just like chapter 1, Jesus' ministry, he's out there, he's demonstrating uh, that he can, uh, and he does and has the authority that God has given him and that he can back up the things that he says. And so Mark really concentrates on the, the power side of his ministry. But uh, let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 3. It's in your notes. Or you can turn to your Bibles, if you brought Bibles, or there's Bibles in the rows. Or you can just listen to me uh, and read if you would uh, like to do that, as long as it doesn't put you to sleep. And uh, yeah, by the end of Mark chapter 3. Uh, so here we go. Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him and to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanderes, which means sons of thunder. 
Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his families heard about this, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, Your mother and brothers are looking for you, outside looking for you. Who are my mothers and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay. So, we ended off last week, and, and if you tie it back to what we learned in Matthew, let's, let's even go back to it a little bit. Jesus came, and his, because his, uh, you see it in this chapter as well, he is he's confronting the established religious community, if you would, um, because they have messed things up. And and what they've done is they've they've taken the love part of relationship with God and they've replaced it with rules and regulations. See the and remember because I need to make this point because I, I I think that we have to be very very careful in our own lives. The Pharisees started out with good intent a couple hundred years before Christ. You have to remember that because it's easy just to look at the Pharisees as bad guys, and they're not very nice by the time Jesus comes, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But but. What's happened is, and I've told you over and over again, why they started out was for noble purposes. They were trying to protect Judaism from the influences of the Greeks. Because the Greeks were, they call it being Hellenized, were, were, were bringing their culture in massive quantities and changing everything. And the, the Pharisees initially set out to protect Judaism from the influences of Hellenism. And so it started with noble purpose, and yet over time had become something completely different. And what they had done was lost their original intent. And in order to try... See, the problem is, over time, when you're trying to uh, uh, like protect something, it's, it's very easy to do that by just setting up a bunch of rules. And then the problem with rules is, is that no matter how many rules you have, you always need more rules. It's like you never get to the end of the rules. They'll never quit passing new laws... Do you know why? Because more, somebody else will figure out a way around them. So, so that's why we... You would think 
that, that as a country, we've had a couple hundred years to figure it out. By now, we shouldn't have it figured out. These are the rules. <laughs> no. They're, doing, they're making new rules at every governmental level every day. New rules. And you get new rules all the time. I get, I, so I'm going to go way off track here, but I have to have an inspection on my house. And, and, and it's because of a new rule that I had nothing to do with. My house had been fine for a long, long time. And suddenly, and not only do I have to, I had two inspectors. I had to have one for the roof, which has been a perfectly fine roof. <laughs> but at least in that case, I could hire whatever inspector I chose. And then one for the flood thing, and there's only one person you can use, and it's the county. And, and these are new rules. See, so you get new rules all the time. Did I sound bitter? Because I didn't mean to. Um, <laughs> was there an edge? It's sorry. <laughs> anyway, you get the idea. And, and, and I just say that so to make it more real. See, there's this constant, well, we need more rules. We need more rules, more rules, more rules, more rules. Those rules are no good anymore. We're replacing them with these rules. Things have changed. We better add this. We'll keep adding these. And all of a sudden, there's more rules than you can possibly imagine. Well, this had happened in a couple hundred year period of the Pharisees. And they'd taken the original ten, which, which really we ought to be able to, ten ought to be good. <laughs> but they'd taken the ten and they'd made it into hundreds. And the problem is the ten, you know, the ten commandments were initiated out of the love of God to demonstrate what people in community with God would live like. It would be a response from a loving, uh, in relationship from a loving God. These would be the things that would be just a part of a normal community. You'd love God uh, with all that you, you know, your heart and everything. You, you wouldn't want to mess with your neighbor's stuff because you'd want them to be fine. You wouldn't want anybody to take your stuff so you wouldn't mess with their stuff. You wouldn't lie. You wouldn't cheat. You wouldn't steal. Uh, you, would, you would do what was right. You'd do the next right thing because you were in love with God and He loved you and these other people around, they loved God as well. And so out of that response would develop community. The problem is we all have a sin nature and we're selfish. And, and the other thing that the law did then was, was quickly point out that even though this was God's intent for people living in His community, we couldn't do it. And we needed help. And we would never be able to legislate a community into acting the way that, that it should based on love. Do, do you get the, the problem? And we still try and legislate people into doing what we think they ought to do and it never works. The only thing that will change people is an encounter with a living God. It's the only thing that does it. And even that doesn't do it completely because none of us are completely changed yet. And hopefully all of us have had an encounter with a living God. And he's changed some things and he's working on others. But, but apart from that, you, you can't do it. And so the law at some point was to point us to our need for Jesus. So, so get that. It, that was part of the deal. It, it was a mediator. It, it, until Jesus came and, and made a way for us to have a relationship with God, uh, the law was there sort of pointing to the fact that we couldn't do it in ourselves. However, groups came in and tried to legislate it so that they could, and what they came up with was this empty, hard, religious shell that was keeping people from God because nobody could do it. And they tried because people, people get that they want to be with God. And they would try, but they couldn't do it. Too many rules. You couldn't, you couldn't get it together. And so you, you have this in place. And Jesus comes because he, his, his ministry, his mission is to tell people, listen, it's been, it's been completely messed up. And this is what relationship with God is supposed to look like. And in the book of Matthew, which is where I started this whole discussion, Jesus came in and on the Sermon of the Mount, he, ups, he, he changed everything from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You have heard it said, but I say to you. In the book of Mark, what happens is that he goes out and demonstrates. Jesus is showing people 
God's compassion, God's care, God's concern for the lost, for the sinners. At the end of chapter 2, we saw where he reached out and touched the leper. And, and remember, the, 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 the big part of that whole story is when the leper came to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you can make me whole, the leper knew without a shadow of a doubt that, that, he could be, that Jesus had the power to heal him. But would he move into the life of an outcast who was not allowed in community because of his disease, who had been isolated forever, would, would Jesus be willing? Would God be willing to reach out to someone like that? And Jesus not only healed him, he touched him. Look, that's huge. Because it expresses the heart of God for us. And, and Jesus then, at the end of chapter 2, challenges the, the biggest thing they kept rules around was the Sabbath. They had written so many rules around the Sabbath. And, and at the end of chapter 2, remember, he really he made them crazy. He could say, hey, look, the, the Sabbath was made for, for man, not man for the Sabbath. And at that point, he was already toast in their eyes. Because by the time we get into chapter 3, they've, I, I'm pretty sure they set this up. See, they, it says, if you read it, the, the man with the shriveled hand is in attendance in the synagogue. And he's there, and they're watching, and they're, they're looking. And so, and Jesus sees their hearts, see, and it says he's, he's upset because, because what the religious order of the day has done is made it impossible for people with God. It's all about the rules and the regulations. Doesn't, they don't care about people at all anymore. And here's a man who desperately needs a touch from God. And Jesus has him stands up, and, and, and he asks them, is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath. And the answer that they're, they're going with, they're not going to say anything because they want him to fall into their trap. They want him to go ahead and do it because then they think they've got him. He violated the Sabbath. And Jesus heals the man on the spot. He, he, he sets him free. Look, the irony of that whole chunk of Scripture to me is that the Pharisees, the ones who have built themselves up to be the, the, the defenders of the faith, so to speak. Do you, do you see the irony in, in the verse right after he heals this man, in verse 6? Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It seems to me there's a commandment that would address that immediately, one of the first ten. <laughs> but because... He was way out here not doing what they had established over time. Forget all of that. We need to kill Jesus. And, and it wasn't that they didn't know that he came with the authority of God. He did. It was obvious. And, and yet that was their response. Do not mess up our gig or our deal with these, these things that you're doing. Don't. We don't want it. And you're going to mess up our lives. And we don't want you in this process. And so this is, this is the problem that we're facing uh, and, and, and you'll see it throughout the Gospels. Jesus comes to address this issue. This is what God is really like. If you don't know who God is, you can see him in me. He says it over and over again, because I'm him. I'm, the Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, Jesus makes no bones about who he is uh, in, the, in the course of this thing. He, and, you know, don't ever be confused by thinking, oh, he was just some great teacher, or he was, you know, he was a good rabbi, or he was a great f- philosopher, he claims to be God. If he's not, then he's none of the things that I just said. In fact, he would be a horrific liar and, and indeed a crazy person and not someone that we could have as Lord. But his claims are justified and verified and proven, not only then, but in our lives. 
if you look, if you look for him today. So, so we have this first encounter in, in the first six verses. Then uh, in, in verses 7 through 12 of the book of Mark, uh, Mark often goes back to this refrain where he says, okay, so they did all this ministry and then Jesus and his guys leave and they withdraw to a quiet place because they're, they're probably tired and hungry and all the things that they need to do and, and Jesus needs to teach his guys some more. Uh, you know, Jesus sort of showed and told. Uh, yeah. And uh, he, he would, he would, the guys would watch him do what he was doing, and then he would instruct them in it, and we're going to see soon that he's going to send them out and start doing the same thing, and, which is good because he sends out the 12, and he sends out the 70 and 72, and then he, guess what? He sends us. We're supposed to be doing all this stuff too. And so they would go to a lonely place, and you see this over and over again in Mark, and then guess what? The crowds would figure out where they were, and pretty soon they would just be surrounded by people. And because of the compassion of Jesus, he would minister to them. And, and you would see it time and time again, they're like a, a sheep with no shepherd. You know, he, he would just, in his compassion, see, that's the compassion of God being demonstrated. He would minister to them. And, and uh, you know, he even has to tell the guys, listen, get a boat. And when the crowd gets too intense, we've got to get out of here because they would get crowded. The, the people, they'd healed so many that all the people with disease were coming just to get near him. And, and so just imagine the, the press of people in the process. But that pattern repeats itself throughout the ministry of Christ. And, and Mark is making sure that, that the Romans know that, that this was what Jesus was doing. This was the, the power that he displayed. Uh, the, these are how the people were responding in the process. In verses 13 through 19, Jesus then appoints the apostles. And, and the apostle, the apostle means the sent ones. And, and he, he picks the twelve at that point in time. And uh, these are the twelve. And, and there's other people there in the midst that hang up, but that he, he sets apart as apostles. And, and so they would be the immediate group that he would minister to and begin to work with. We know that he worked with others as well, but he, he trains them, he teaches them, he demonstrates to them that the things that, he, that Jesus is doing, remember, Jesus now is operating under the anointing of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> because he's fully man as well as being fully God. He's yielded, uh, we read in Philippians, that, that part of uh, him that allowed him to come and humble himself, he's, he's yielded the, the part that he, he hung on to in in, in that concept of Trinity, and his ministry is, is under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit, just like our ministry is. And so when he, he gives authority to his guys to go and do it, they do it under the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to do the things that Jesus did. It's not just because he's Jesus that he does these things. It's because he's obedient to the Spirit of God. Um, why is he used so mightily? He's not dealing with, He's not succumbing to sin like we do. He's tempted like we are, but he doesn't ever give in to sin. And so he's making the obedient choice time after time after time where we don't. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't, right? We can. You know how it works. Honestly, right? <laughs> we do the best we can, and then all of a sudden we get real selfish. Anybody? <laughs> and, 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 and then, you know, so I'm sorry, God, and we get a new start. And we go from there, but but that's how it works. Well, Jesus was tempted like we are, but never sinned. See, he always did the right thing, which is good for us, because if he hadn't, he couldn't have been the right offering for us on the cross. So, all very important, integral stuff. So, so uh, by the third chapter of Mark, you see how much quicker this book is going. We already have apostles and uh, more people ready to go out and do the stuff for the Lord. Then, um, this is kind of interesting. Um, because I always, I always wonder about this. In verses 20 and 21, 
Jesus' family gets news of what's happening and the crowds and all the things that Jesus is doing. And I think they're sitting around and they're kind of going, you know, like, what happened to the nice little Jewish carpenter boy we had? <laughs> um, we better go get him. We think he's gone crazy. Maybe he needs to be committed or something. Now, I, I get at some level why that happens. At the other level, I wonder, and I don't know, what Mary was thinking because Mary knew. This, you know what I mean? However, see, here's the deal. You're not always sure how it's going to look when it happens. And, and Mary would have known, just like all the disciples know, what they were looking for in the return of and what Messiah to them was going to look like. One who came in and got rid of the Romans is what they were looking for and restored the kingdom to its Davidic state. That is not what showed up. And maybe even Mary was wondering what was happening. And, and maybe she was not only questioning Jesus, but herself. I don't know. I don't know. Because you see that she's there. And the, the writer of the gospel says they think he's crazy. Well, they, they make that assertion. And then Mark does this a lot. He sort of starts one story. That story starts. And then he inserts another story. And then we're going to finish that story. If you read it, you see the families come. And then all of a sudden, it's like the, the Pharisees jump in on the he's crazy bandwagon. And they go, they take it a notch further. Oh, no, he's not crazy. He's possessed. He's got a demon. He's being led by the prince of demons. The, the prince of demons is allowing him to cast out all these other demons. See, the Pharisees aren't arguing the fact that he's demonstrating power. They're, they just don't like Jesus. And, and so they're having to deal with this. And, and, and here's where Jesus has to, and he says his thing, listen, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And so he, he makes the point, look, if, if that's where it's happening, why would, that doesn't even make sense. And so, you know, your accusation has no merit in the process. And there's a couple of verses in this, in this section here from 22 to 31 that I want to point out in the last four minutes. Um, the first one's in verse 27. It says, In fact, Jesus says, No one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. In that story, just, just so you understand, the, the strong man in the house is the evil one. And, and as Jesus inaugurates the kingdom... With his coming, he's, he's tying up the strong man so that we can, then his, his disciples, his apostles, us, can go in and take back what the enemy has stolen from God from the time of the fall. We can go in and, and bring the people that are trapped in darkness and introduce them into light. They get to choose. But, but now there's access to it. Before Jesus came, the, the people didn't really even know the darkness they were in. You don't see much, uh, many accounts of demonic activity at all in the Old Testament because there was no light to, to bring it out. But what happens when Jesus entered the scenes? All of a sudden, demons are coming everywhere saying, we know who you are. You're the Son of God. So, so things have, have, have begun to shift radically. But, but that's the concept. In, in inaugurating the kingdom, at some level, the enemy has been bound and, and uh, tied up. And now we have access to... All those who have been blinded by the little G God of this age, as the scripture calls them. And we can introduce them to light uh, and they can make a choice. The other big verse I want to look at is it's in verses 28 and 29. I tell you the truth, it says, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. On my Internet pastor site, I get a lot of emails. and, And realistically, every week I get one or two. I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. Am I going to hell? <laughs> and so it's obviously a big concern. 
and, and what is it? And have I done it? And what, have I ever blasphemed the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Have I ever said something bad about Him? And, and they get all tightened up. As simply as I can explain it to the best of my understanding, the unpardonable sin is not receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which would be uh, uh, against what the work of the Spirit of God is. Because that's what He's here doing. He's, he's pointing people to Jesus. If you refuse to accept Jesus, that's an issue. Uh, that that is, is a big problem. Okay? And so, but everything else, because people want to make all this other stuff. I get people ask me all the time, well, I've done this. Am I, am I, can I ever be forgiven? Yeah. Uh, you can be forgiven. Of, it says here, all. Didn't, didn't I just read? All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven there. Isn't that good news? Do you know what all means? Thank you. You guys have been listening over the years. <laughs> all. Except not asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That's it. That one's it's a bottom line issue. It's why we're here. It's the, the whole point of this life. Is we make that decision. We get to choose. And so we, we must choose wisely. And then the last few verses, his family shows up and Jesus makes this statement, Who are my mothers and brothers? And then he looks at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mothers and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And so if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're trying to live out His will for your life, welcome to the family of God, because that's what it looks like. And, and uh, uh, you know, that's, that's what Jesus was saying. This is, this is it. This matters. This counts. And we've got to get this right. And so that's Mark chapter 3 in uh, 25 minutes or so. Pass up your prayer request to me. It's 8 o'clock. I want to pray for you and uh, get you out of here and... Barry, you shut off upstairs for me. Thank you. If you're watching in Williston, God bless you guys. We miss you. We'll see you as soon as we can. Scott and Pam will pray for you. We're going to pray for the folks here. If you're on the Internet watching and you need prayer, email us or call us, and we'd be happy to pray for you.